Annyeonghaseyo, this is Kyle and Travis and we're with CAD Stories and we are super excited to introduce two CAD ladies, Jody Gill, who works for TAG, and Sarah Zelansky, who is also under TAG. And they came to me because they wanted to speak about a very popular lady and a really well-meaning, well-to-do lady and her name's Dr. Cho, who apparently was a pediatrician after the Korean War and she worked with a lot of orphans and was under Holt, which also led to adoptees. So we wanted to gather their perspectives and how this book came to be published and edited. So we're gonna give the floor to Sarah Solansky because she knows all about it. So Sarah, could you describe a little bit about how this book came to process? I'm gonna start from the beginning with 2019 in January to March. I volunteered at the Holt Ilsan Center. Holt Ilsan Center is actually a campus of about 200 residents who are individuals aging from probably 10 years old to the oldest being like 68 years old. And they are special needs Koreans who have different disabilities and they were never adopted out. And so one of the things that Holt wanted to do was to create a facility that allowed for those individuals who didn't get adopted out, who were handicapped mentally and physically, and be able to take care of them throughout their lifetime and be able to also help them be able to have an income and be recognized as individuals in Korea as Korean citizens. So from that, when I was volunteering there, I heard about this book and it was from the pediatrician. And the entire time I was there, I heard about Dr. Cho, Dr. Cho, Dr. Cho. I was not one of the fortunate ones who had her signature on my whole paperwork, but there were other people who had her signature on it. And having to heard Dr. Cho, I kept hoping that I was going to meet Dr. Cho, but I heard about this book. And so I wanted to read the book that was being translated. And so the book was written in 2009 in Korean, and then they wanted to translate it in English because there was such a need because this was a book about not so much adoptees, but stories about babies in the situation that was happening in the post-Korean War. I think it's important to clarify the book that we're actually talking about, which I didn't mention. It's a different title than the book that Sarah edited. The book that we're talking mm -hmm. about is called Grandmother Doctor Puts Down a Stethoscope. And that is the book that Sarah is talking about at the moment. Right. And actually, it's Dr. Cho's memoir. And so when I read the book, I wanted to meet Dr. Cho even more. And I was actually fortunate enough to meet Dr. Cho. And so that was in March of 2019. And in July and August of 2019 was ICA. And that's the International Korean Adoption Association gathering that was happening in Seoul. But I decided I was going to come back for ICA gathering. And at that point, I made arrangements to stay on Holt campus as well. And I got to meet Dr. Cho. Finally, again, the second time. And during that time period, this was for two weeks, I was able to stay on campus. And during that time frame, I ate breakfast with her every day. And sometimes I would eat the evening meals with her every day during that two weeks period. And she would tell me stories. I mean, it was incredible, the stories that she told me. I was kind of curious, mm -hmm. is Aika through Dr. Cho's itself, like how did you guys get set up and how did you guys actually meet? Was she there at the event then you guys kind of interjected with each other is that how it worked no i could actually was a major event of all the korean adoptees from all over the world and it was a gathering and so every three years 
It happens in Seoul. So this was this major gathering. And so I stayed on the Holt Osan campus and that's where Dr. Cho was staying. And so during that time period, I got to hear all these stories and the situation and things. And it was like my private time I had with her every morning. It was really precious. It was just so engaging and I had a better understanding of the whole situation. And did you actually know about her previously before 2019 then? Or did you actually met her on the campus? Yeah, seriously. I didn't even know who she was. I didn't even know what her name, but I just had heard later on that, oh, Dr. Cho used to work here and things. And she'd come here and there at Old Ilsan and stuff. And so I had told her that I had been editing her book and had read it and things. And so she was pretty excited about it. And so I kind of always kept in touch with her in regards to the book. And then in February of 2020, I came back out and spent more time with Dr. Cho as well. And the book was kind of in the final stages of being finished and published. And so I was kind of excited for the English person to finally come out, but it hadn't. And so then I happened to ask a friend, I said, do you know what the status on this book is? And I know that Dr. Cho is getting kind of old and it'd be nice that this book got published, you know, while she was alive, because I knew that was a dream of hers. So November of 2021, last year, I emailed Dr. Cho and I said, what's the scoop on your book? <laughs> and she says, well, I think it's done. I don't know where who has it. So I kind of did a little bit of investigating and I found the manuscript and it was ready to go, just needed to be published. Dr. Cho didn't have the money to publish it. And I offered up I told Dr. Cho, I said, I'm going to do it. Did you add a touch base with Susan Cox about this book at all? Do you think I know that Karina Dotti? No, I didn't get in touch. She does know about it through other people talking to her and stuff, but I have not personally talked to Susan Cox about it. What actually took so long for her book to be translated? Was she just a really busy lady or? I think it's funds. Funds, okay. So my biggest question is, why is she so significant? Because we kind of touched base. She was just a really important figure in the Korean community. And what are some things that on why people should read this book and why she was so significant in the Korean community after the Korean um, War? So from my perspective, actually having been a nursery nurse, labor and delivery nursery nurse, and having known how to take care of babies and how important it is to take care of an individual from the minute they take their first breath, I totally understand why it was so important to take care of. And having worked with pediatricians, Dr. Cho and I had a, just a natural relationship just because in that medical career field that we knew and just having that understanding of a baby's need. But she was a brand new pediatrician graduating and she chose to not work in a well-known hospital. She chose to work at the Seoul Children's Baby Hospital and it's a welfare hospital. So the only patients that come in there are those who have no parents and children, babies who are found and children who do not have any parents. And there's an interesting story in this book. There's actually a situation where this baby needed to have surgery. And this father comes in with this baby, needs surgery. And Dr. Cho says, we can't take care of him because he's got a parent. And because he's got a parent, they can't take care of this baby. But did Dr. Cho ignore that? No, 
she made phone calls and made every effort and she was able to actually get an agreement from a physician in the army hospital to be able to perform the surgery on this baby. And that wouldn't have happened if this individual would have taken that baby to another hospital because he couldn't have afforded it. But, you know, in the comments, he's like, so I need to be dead for this baby to be taken care of, which is kind of sad. But in reality, that was the situation. But she chose to work in those environments. And because she worked in this children's baby hospital, which was a welfare hospital, they didn't get government funding. She had to fight for everything she could to make the facility be able to handle these sick kids and babies. And this is not in the book, but every time there were people like ambassadors or ambassadors' wives who came through, every time they came through, she would ask and beg for money and she was ready to tell them what they needed. And so she was able to get funds to be able to perform surgeries in this hospital. This hospital couldn't even do that in a healthy environment and things. And so she fought and changed a lot of thinking among pediatricians about how to take care of babies, how to get their birth rate up and get them to a point that they can start gaining weight and things like that. She was kind of an innovator in that respect, but she's always worked in those social welfare situations, those centers. She's never worked in a hospital making a lot of money. And that's what I appreciate her the most about, but she's always had that humanitarian aspect. Why was there so many orphans in the 50s? I guess you mentioned a lot of deaths from family members. Right. Mm -hmm. Fathers were killed from the war. So fathers were either farmers. The farmers, they were the ones who produced the food. And so food wasn't being produced. And so a lot of these kids were malnourished. They didn't have money coming in because mothers weren't in the patriarchal system in Korea. Mothers weren't working. It was the father who works. And when that father figure is gone, it's then the grandparents. And so they all come into this family entity. And if they can't afford it, who's the one who's going to go? And they want to make sure that last generation member is going to survive. And knowing that, that was one of the reasons why these children were found. Can you explain a little bit about the birth rate among soldiers and why it was high to lead on to that? I think in any wartime situation, just promiscuity happens and, you know, needs have to be met, unfortunately. And it's not just in Korea, it's elsewhere. You look at what happened in Vietnam, Japan. It's kind of a sad case with war. I mean, it happened in the U.S. too. I mean, and you hear the word rape and pillage and that's what happens, unfortunately. And so there's actually a story that I had heard that the president of Korea's wife was asked, you know, it's like, why do these prostitution rings exist? And it's, it's just like, well, these were created because then women weren't just getting raped. So to avoid that, they had places where prostitution could be provided, unfortunately. And because of that, that was the increase in the mixed race. So you, you mentioned Korea at the time in the 50s was the sixth poorest country. My curiosity is if that was the case, how many babies survived on a, I don't know, maybe a yearly basis, weekly or daily basis? Is it really hard for children to, to survive or babies to survive? Or was there any information? 
think the one thing that, that came out of like orphanages was that it was a place for babies to come. And I think people felt like that was a safe place to come. But unfortunately, due to lack of funds, lack of proper nutrition, understanding, I feel like in some respects, just from reading some of other people's stories about those situations, that I get the sense that they did everything they could, but it was at the detriment of some of the kids. It caused increased malnutrition because they were trying to be frugal with the supplies, but because of that, it ended up decreasing the nutritional value to a child and not realizing that outside influences needed to come in. And so I think the presence of some of the outside like nurses and volunteers that came in from the U.S. into Korea that came into those orphanages and realized, oh, you know what? We need to change the practices. I mean, even just basic health hygiene. And I think it's just one of those situations where they probably never really thought about that and realized, oh my gosh, we are causing some of the problems. Like basic hygiene. It's like they kept reusing bath water mm-hmm. and it just ends up being worse. And when you think about how the Red Cross and the nurses, when you think about way back when in the Crimean War and in the Civil War, when simple things that we think about now mm-hmm. is like, oh my gosh, yeah, why wouldn't you clean that wound <laughs> you know, before you put a bandage on it? So there's some of those things that like common sense you think about now didn't even click in back then because it was just like the volume of kids that came in and how do we manage this and things. I mean, I've heard at some times that there were death rates of like 10 kids came in, 10 died. I mean, that's a hundred percent death rate there, but it wasn't unheard of, unfortunately, because kids came in malnourished to orphanages. So I think this is like a perfect topic and a perfect book. I know to interject about Travis's question about why is this book is so important. While our target market that watches our videos are adoptees, so this is why it affects adoptees and why adoption came to be such a common practice in Korea after the Korean War, because one, they were really poor, and obviously the kids were orphans, so they really had to go somewhere. So I was kind of curious. It seems like Dr. Cho worked closely with the Holt a foundation, which is an adoption agency. What was their relationship like? Were they actually partners or anything like that? Because it says Linda Holt, one of the daughters of Harry Holt, had a hand in proofreading the first edit. Well, when you think about the major adoption agencies in Korea, they're all spread out. So there was one in Seoul, which was mainly Holt. And then you got Eastern, you got Korean social services, and then you got down in Busan. But when you think of geologically of where those orphanages were located, Holt was mainly in Seoul. And so the policy for back then was that if a baby came into Children's Babies Hospital, they had to hold them for two weeks. During those two weeks, if a parent showed up and claimed this baby, they retained custody or you know were able to take their baby back. But during that two weeks, if they didn't, Something had to happen. And the Holt Orphanage was pretty much the go-to of where these children went after the two weeks because they couldn't keep these kids forever because they didn't have the facility to be able to keep these kids forever, unfortunately, in the hospital. So the partnership kind of happened organically that way, partly because of the military presence as well. So there was the American-American Holt and the military presence. They worked together for getting food. So Dr. Cho knew that. 
So that she knew that whole, those babies were going to get fed. They were going to get food. And so that's kind of how it started with that. And so if Dr. Cho knew that this baby needed surgery, they had to go get to an American entity because that was the only way that this baby was going to survive. Because they couldn't go to a system that was in Korea that if you had national health insurance, you could go to. If you had national health insurance, you didn't go to the baby softball. So those who were there, she had to get a fund. She had to get somebody who could take care of and provide and do surgeries for these babies. And really, it was the American presence. From Dr. Cho's perspective, do you feel from her sense that adoption was inevitable? That was probably the next best thing? Or was there other alternatives that she considered? Jody, you can also interject too, because I know you have a little perspective about Holt that maybe some of the adoptees, it would be best to explain and maybe the realities of war, adoption, and whatnot. In regards to this book, like before I met Dr. Cho, I met her in 2015, but before I met her, I just thought Holt was like one big organization. And then when I actually went there, I realized, oh, there's Holt Korea, which is like business office, there's Holt Ilsan, and then there's Holt International, which is in Oregon. So for the purposes of this book, I was just more drawn to Dr. Cho because I could feel it. It was this weird thing when I first met her. She like wanted to feed me and she like wanted to pat me on the back. I was like, I belong to her. I was like one of hers. And so our conversations continued on. And I realized she's the real deal. She's like my grandmother with a face that's similar to me. It was like this aha moment. And then when I began to dig into it deeper, I realized she's the humanitarian behind this. So while we have these names and labels and these different thoughts, I'm probably alive because of her, you know, and of several others probably pass through her hands or at least her team's hands who are in these adoptive families. So for me, this is our history, whether we want to carry negative feelings or positive feelings toward different names or adoption in general. This is part of our history. And I think what I hate is barriers. I hate barriers. And what I felt is everything about her is in the Korean language. When I asked my Korean friends, do you know Dr. Cho? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jody, there's so much information about her over here. And I said, well, we don't have any information over here. And here we are, the result of what she did. Why? Because there's a language barrier. So there's kind of a challenge to, you know, the Korean government to say, hey, guys, we're just a tiny little nonprofit. But what about them? What about them like looking at the adoptees and saying, hey, could we give you guys more support? We're going to translate these things in English so that you can understand your own history so I think that probably went into a little deeper of uh, my own perspectives here. But I think we're oh, many of us are alive. I came into the hospital in critical condition. So I was one of those cases where I needed her in the game of the medical field taking care of me, people like me. So you two ladies have a lot of respect for Dr. Cho. Hopefully we explained a little bit why she is such an important figure. Basically... I almost see her as a Mother Teresa, except the Korean version. But anyway, so let's pick up to the book. So the book was edited by Sarah Solansky. And could you describe a little bit of the editing process and maybe some of the contents of how the book is organized? So I wanted to piggyback on what Jody had said. Having talked with Dr. Cho, she really felt genuine. And I got to tell you that personally for her, I think she feels bad about 
the adoption system happening because she knows that there are some adoptees who are hurting and had situations that probably had bad parents and things like that. She's not ignorant to that at all, but she wants the adoptees to understand that this was what was going on then. And she was doing what she felt was the best thing was to save lives. And if it was putting them in a family in another country that would save that person's life, that's all she was thinking about at that time. Not knowing, understanding what the ramifications in 50 or 60 years would do to that individual. But, and I think that's one of the healthcare things is like, that's our thing is what are we going to do immediately to help and better this person's well-being and when you think of it in that perspective and that's the reason why she really wants this part like jody was saying this is history it's like i don't think a lot of adoptees understood the economic situation that korea was going to post-korean war so the book is written into three parts the first part is about good stories about successful stories some of them are domestic adoptees some of them are adoptees with special needs that parents chose to make that financial commitment and adopt them. So those are good news stories that she knows. I mean, I don't know if she realizes what the outcome of some of these individuals were past that because sometimes they do lose touch. Part two is the sad stories. Anything post-war, it's not all roses, unfortunately. And so there are some sad stories. And so part two is sad stories. Part three in here is a combination of good and bad and the good and bad. And she admits it, the realizing of the discrimination, the negativity that comes from adoptions from the Korean aspect, the native Koreans, as well as those Korean adoptees coming back to Korea and what they experience. So that's part three. So really one of the things that I did was I kind of had a good idea of what the chapters were is just kind of making it flow. And then getting it so that labeling the chapters to have them make sense. I wanted to mention, you said that you had such gratitude and maybe respect for Dr. Cho is that you wanted to get this book done for her birthday in May. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. She turns 90 years old, green years um, in May. And believe it or not, she's still volunteering. She just actually emailed me a couple of weeks ago and said, I got put in the hospital because I hurt my lower back because I was volunteering at a sick babies clinic. And this is like, I want to jump in. Still doing. Yeah, I want to jump in because while Sarah pushed this project to be completed for her 90th birthday, the really cool thing is we're going to Korea next week to go present this book to her, have a book launch, and others who have been in the know have already purchased the book on a pre-sale. So that's the really cool thing is 90 years old is older. So for me, I don't know if this is my last time to be with her or not. So this is to me like the perfect way. Like I met her in 2015. I felt her love and her appreciation. Now fast forward to 2022, here she is turning 90. I mean, I feel like we've done what we were called to do in a way is there was a need and Sarah pushed it and we got on it. And the really cool thing is, is I was finishing another book and I said, I think we can do this. I think we can do this because I finished the other book and we were able to publish it. So it's kind of cool how everything kind of worked together and that we get to spend time with her face to face. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about Sarah. How was the editing process for you? Was it difficult going through some of these stories 
or was it pretty much a clear sail in the wind? It sounds like once you wanted to edit this book and you collaborated with Jody, it seemed to be pretty smooth sailing. Yeah, it was actually, you know, I had a lot of dialogue back and forth between Dr. Cho and myself because I wanted to make sure that she was able to read this book and be proud of it, the translation and that everything was correct. And it took her close to a month to be able to read it. I had a dictionary by her side. She was explaining this all to an email and stuff. But I think the biggest thing is that was really more emotional was the emails back and forth with her and having that dialogue. And some of those comments are in the back and the front, her quotes, because they were just too precious to not put in here. And I was the only one who got to see them. So I'm like, I got to share these, like her thoughts on that. Oh, I wish I'm sorry kind of things. And so it was one of those things is like, that was the most emotional part I felt of doing the editing was actually trying to have the opening and closing comments for her in this book, because that was what wasn't done. Does she have a perspective on adoptees that didn't have such a great adoption or does she have any, like you mentioned negative, is that just prior to them getting adopted or maybe heard stories when they came back or is there any in-depth information you can give on that? For me, when I met her, I felt that they were grieving because they did the best they could just to keep babies alive, get them stable. And in their mind, they thought they would get them to a better place. Back then, that was a mindset and better places, food, shelter and loving parents. So when they heard of stories, you know, that were not such loving parents or different abuses that went on, I know it was very grieving. So when I saw her and I told her what I was doing in Korea, she says, it's so good to hear a success story for a Korean adoptee. And I was thinking, isn't there a lot of success stories? And she says, we hear so much negativity from the adoptees that we don't know if they're coming here to question us or so for you. They just kept hugging me, you know, you are a success story to us. We're so glad to have met you. So I can tell you, Kyle, during that time frame, that really hurt Dr. Cho. The ones who are deported, because those are the ones who obviously didn't have a healthy lifestyle and somehow got into a bad crowd and things like that and ended up getting deported. Does she have any perspective on what else could have been done prior to them being adopted or... Or is it just kind There's of There's some adoptees the that, that believe that adoption should only happen in the in-country. But at the time, being poor and having no money, having no resources, and having we, we, adoptees were unfortunately collateral. And But to me, I see it as the inevitable. And like that's, it's, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I would say, too, about the in-country, humans are humans. Like, we try to present ourselves the best we can. And that's what people did with the caseworkers is they presented a family the best they could and they passed all the different boxes. But to even adopt in country, humans are humans. You're going to have a percentage who are just that's unstable. So they just shouldn't have kids. I wanted to mention, though, that I heard from somebody, and I know you've been part of the military, that it was illegal to bring the Korean wife to the United States. Is that true? And is that why a lot of the babies were orphaned? Was that another perspective? No. So the army did not enforce that soldiers cannot bring the Korean wives over then? No. 
So why were there a lot of American soldiers that pretty much just there. left the kids there? Did they not care or? Yeah, they felt like there was no responsibility. And to be honest, I mean, they didn't know they were pregnant. They might not have known or maybe mm. the time frame that they're probably deployed there probably didn't even know that bothered a child. So that's the thing is like the ones who probably did come back to remarry. I mean, there are stories that are that way. The American, you know, servicemen did come back to marry when they found out. Those are the ones who probably had a very close relationship, had that dating aspect or whatever and things like that. And, you know, had sex probably and obviously to father a child, but they had that close relationship already established and so probably didn't know that she was pregnant but then they probably still were in contact with each other and knew and so did come back but many of them when you're only there for a nine month or six month deployment at a time you're not going to know if you fathered a child i mean that's how truth you know matter is you know deployments here now they have gone longer but there's sometimes, you know, you are on six month deployments and that's it. So we have a saying, just like in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Same thing. What happens in TDY stays in TDY. So I guess this brings another political issue because of these women having so many children that they could not take care of and pretty much the father's like leaving. Being Korea, and I'm pretty sure you guys already know about their culture, it's based off the bloodlines and and it's a Confucius type theory. So I was curious, does Dr. Chol, was she aware of how difficult it was for single mothers to actually come out and come forward to take care of their children if they even could at all? Did she know how difficult it was for single mothers uh, being judged, being discriminated against? What was her opinion on that? And maybe you could share a little bit about that. Oh, she knew and she understood because she'd been in, you know, lived in Korea all of her life and knew the history of, you know, the Joseon dynasty and things. I mean, Joseon dynasty actually just was last year was like, what, 1918? So it was a very recent when Japan conquered Korea and conquered the Joseon dynasty. So all those philosophies and those beliefs were existent even when she was, well, maybe not. She would have been in 58, she graduated from college. So she wouldn't know of it, I'm sure. Of that. I think you bring a good point, too. When we talk about the wars and the different things going over there, my perspective is, is that Korea had nothing, really, nothing when I was born compared to what we see now. What do we see now? Beauty, K-drama, the music, and it's really, you know, done very well. And I think that is a misconception is if we're looking at Korea from what we know today and what it was back then, there's a huge contrast. We're talking about a country that was leveled out several times and had to start from nothing to where they are today. Just 60 years ago. I mean, that's not that long ago no. in relation to some of these other countries and their history. They said to start over and really they didn't pick up steam until after the 1988 Olympics. I know this is a kind of a political topic. Does Dr. Cho have a, an opinion on having adoption considered an industry? Does she have any thoughts that she might have personally told you or written the book or you're not sure? 
Now, I don't think she realized that that was the accusation and, and doing the research and things. I mean, she was present when there was a lot of the media that was there for the Olympics. And that was one of the things that was accused of Korea, of the Korean government. And I think she was very ignorant to that, not realizing that that was the accusation that was out there. I think it was a shock to her. And I'm pretty sure when talking about it, it's not something that they're proud of. But I got to tell you that one of the stories in the book has a situation where there was a father who came every Monday to the hospital, was looking at the incubators. And just to make a long story short, Dr. Tulasin was like, why are you here every day? Because my wife had a third miscarriage. And here's a family who was trying and trying and couldn't have a baby. And she had a third stillborn. And she goes, well, why do you come every Monday? He goes, because every Monday I figured out that I find a baby that I want. And then I come back the next Monday, baby's gone. And he goes, well, not all will make it. And so, so Dr. Cho says, let's find you a boy that would be small for their age, but is healthy. And so they find this boy, he adopts him and he grows up. And so finally made it to like the one year birthday. And Dr. Cho gets a letter from him. He's like, this is the last time I can talk to you and tell you, but thank you. He's doing really well. And that's a situation where it's like, here's some that Dr. Cho was a part of. So it's not all like a situation of like adopting these kids out. Yes, this child got adopted out, but it was a situation where it's making the story right for a family that has had, you know, heartaches, hardships with three babies dying. So it's not all about adoptees out of country situations, but obviously she only dealt with those kinds of individuals or kids that stayed in orphanages and aged out. So I think we have a few questions probably till we wrap it up. So I wanted to talk about the illustration and the graphic. Could you describe Jody? Uh, how did that graphic came to be and who did it? That's a good question. I happen to be blessed with three artists around me at all times. So it's just depending on what the need is and what their skill set is, I can kind of pitch my need to all three of them and they can decide which one is best for it. The really cool thing too is my daughter Taylor is the artist on this one and she had also met Dr. Cho 2016, we surprised her and took her to Korea for her senior trip. So she also got to spend time on Ilsan campus and meet uh, the residents there and see what that perspective is of what her mom could have been. Her mom could have lived on the campus, you know, if I would not have been adopted out. So the illustrator is Taylor. And to be honest, she is not going into art at all. She's going into the medical field. And that gave her more of an interest to be connected with Dr. Cho. So we took that picture from her original book, and then we gave her a couple other pictures of Dr. Cho, and she came up with that angle all by herself. The baby, Dr. Cho's face, I was like, wow, that really looks like her. And she's like, oh, well, you, you gave me the picture. And I'm like thinking it must be great to be able to do that. <laughs> but that is my daughter's work. So I, I guess the last question, I'm sure Travis may interject later, but it sounds like you both have such an incredible relationship with Dr. Cho and why you have such a passion for the release of her book called Before Adoption, There Was Dr. Cho. So you're going to be meeting her next week, and obviously she's getting old. Do you guys have certain feelings or nostalgia that you were part of something about an important person's life and you are serving as part of that memoir? Could you explain some of your feelings? Well, my goal was to have a 
a really cool birthday present <laughs> and being able to accomplish that. And I think we did. <laughs> she did was it. really, when I told her, I said, this is going to be your birthday present. She's like, really? <laughs> I mean, she's like, are you going to really do this? And I said, I will work day and night to get this done for you because you deserve it. It's just, it was something that I wanted to do personally because I know that she is recognized in Korea, but I think there's a lot of people in, throughout the world who don't know her and knows what she wanted to do. And it's funny because there's a lot of people who don't have the English translated, but actually have the Korean book because it was one of those books that was handed out through motherland tours. You never read it. Right. But they're like, oh, it's Dr. Uh, Cho's book. Yeah. I, I, I think for book. Yeah, for me, just education is so important. Working with different countries, sometimes we don't always get the truth. And I think this is part of our history that is the truth, like firsthand experience of the truth, whether we were adopted from the other different agencies or Holt or however we were adopted. This is the truth at the time of what started 200,000 Korean babies adopted to different countries. It was post-war times and her care for the babies. So for me, I'm just happy to see your face. Like I said, she was the first Korean-looking face that I felt this odd belonging to. I never like experienced that feeling until I met her because she's the type of person where if you step into her home, she's going to be like, here, sit down, sit down, you know, but speaking in her broken English, uh, you need to eat. Are you hungry? And she'll just start serving. And I'm thinking, I want to be like that. I want to serve until I'm 90 with good things, things that advance other people's lives. So I think just for her lifestyle in general, without aside from the relationship that we have with her is something that I want to be like. You guys are probably incredibly lucky and maybe blessed to actually be in her presence like in the next week. Do you guys have like any last words that you'd like to say to her? Because you never know, you, you said that it could be your last visit. Mm, to say to Dr. Cho? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I just want her to live her last days feeling blessed and is like a feeling like she did all she could, she was capable of doing. And I think she did that 200% for yeah. sure. Especially hearing that she's still volunteering at a sick babies clinic at 89. I mean, that's crazy that she still has that desire. It's pretty neat. I would like to add that the proceeds of this book are going back to Ilsan town. And one of the things that I love about Korea is they have the, like the best down coats. It's almost like cloud coats are so light. And I was thinking, gosh, could we potentially give a coat to all the residents at Ilsan Town? We don't know, but we're going to try. So the proceeds are going to go to try to get coats to all the residents in Ilsan Town. And maybe some other corporate sponsors would like to jump in and be a part of that mission. So we don't gain anything from this for the adoptee group. It all goes back to helping mental health, mental wellness, and Ilsan Town residents. So how do people get a hold of this book? Where would people end up finding this on sale? Or what is your take on that? Right now we have just a handful of pre-orders for signed books from Dr. Cho, actually, that she will be personally signing in the next two weeks. <laughs> so I can bring them back to the U.S. to mail out. So we have about 20 books left on the pre-sale and they can get them on either the Adaptive Group or on CAD Village, cadvillage.com. There's a link for Dr. Cho's book. You can purchase it there. But 
come one June is actually the official. You can purchase a book on Amazon and on you can get this paperback copy on there or you can get the Kindle version. What would be the prices for the Kindle version and for the paperback cover? The Kindle version is going to be 9.99 and the paperback is going to be 19.99. There you have it. I actually did not know who Dr. Cho was, but after reading and hearing a little bit of story from my friend Sarah and Jody, it seems like she's a really incredible lady. She's like, to me, like the Mother Teresa of Korea, and this ties with us adoptees. So in a way, I feel like this book, before adoption, there was Dr. Cho is basically a proper send-off for her, and I think it's an incredible moment and an incredible pinnacle for everyone that is involved including jody and sarah but also dr cho herself so i think everyone needs to buy the book and if you're interested in learning about the history behind the korean war and what happened and why the adoption industry if you can call it came to be so anyway is there any other last moments that you two ladies would like to mention that we haven't covered so far no, I just want to say thanks to you, Kyle and Travis, to be able to continue on with the cat stories and bring out good news stories and promote positive things in regards to what we're trying to do in the community for addressing mental health wellness and that we're trying to do as a community. And, and we can only do it little bits at a time, you know, and hopefully just like the snowball effect, it's just going to create this huge snowball and just do some really great things. We can only do it with people like you that share our stories and share our projects and things that we're trying to do. I'm going to just slip in. We as a community also want to thank Sarah for just giving her the path that she has and having been <laughs> these opportunities to do these kinds of things because this is not a natural occurrence that someone could have the manuscript of an award-winning doctor in Korea and uh, being able to, you know, have the aptitude to publish it and carry it forward. So just thank you from the adoptee community and from the adoptee group too. It's an incredible honor. I really am always glad when various Koreans or adoptees in general just want to collaborate. And I think that's the most important thing that helps mental health is being involved and collaborating and sharing and continuing to share and even if it's a good or the bad. And I think Dr. Cho is actually one of those ladies that's actually more on the positive end. So it's good to end on a positive note. And we're incredibly happy with Cat Stories ourselves to be involved kind of third wheel through Dr. Cho's book as well. And we only want to share. And hopefully if you found this interview interesting, please buy the book and all proceeds go to TAG. Thank you. You definitely are making your mark and, and making history. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks Thank to, you, guys. Thanks to Dr. Cho, and no thanks to Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh. <laughs> There's the laugh. You right. always get that laugh in for an interview. <laughs>